Well, happy Easter, VRVC. It's so great to see you in the room and you who are joining us online. And by the way, haven't you appreciated all of these folks who've been willing to share their story with us? Hasn't that been so powerful? Mm. Well, if you're a guest today, we want you to know that we've been spending time over the last uh, couple of months in the Gospel of John. Uh, John, the son of Zebedee, was one of the best friends of Jesus, and he wrote about so many stories of people whose lives were altered by Jesus. Their stories were changed by Jesus. And so we uh, have been in this series called This Is My Story. We've been imagining what it would be like for people from the Gospel of John to sit on a leather sofa and to tell us their story and how Jesus changed their story. And uh, this morning, uh, as we come to the finale of this uh, series, the Easter edition of this series, uh, we want to look at a close friend of Jesus, a woman named Mary Magdalene. We want to shadow her on the original uh, Easter sunrise service, if you will. And so I want to read to you from John chapter 20, verses 10 to 18. I invite you to have your Bibles uh, open or maybe pulled up on a, a mobile device. Um, And as I read this passage, I want you to pay special attention to the things that Mary sees and doesn't see, the things that Mary hears and doesn't hear. We begin in verse 10, Mary has gotten to the tomb first, and then Peter and John show up, and then they leave. And so in verse 10, it says, and the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary, that's Mary Magdalene, stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this she turned and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have, yet, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go and said to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. May God bless the reading of his word. So who is Mary Magdalene? What do we know about Mary Magdalene? Well, we know a little bit about her prior to Jesus' death. um, And then we know a lot about her during the last few days of his life on earth prior to his resurrection. So what do we know about her before we get to Good Friday? Well, she grew up in the same region as Jesus in Galilee. She was from a town called Magdala on the western shore. We know that she had a a very troubled past. At the end of Mark's gospel, we learn that she had been plagued by seven demons before Jesus freed her. Luke in his gospel echoes that same rescue story and tells us that that Mary was among a group of women disciples who had been cured of diseases and and freed of evil spirits. 
We also presume that Mary and her friends had a, a decent amount of money because Mark's gospel says that they, they followed Jesus in Galilee and they cared for his needs. So just to summarize, Mary Magdalene is from the same part of the country as Jesus. She had a rescue story where Jesus was the hero. She followed Jesus as a disciple. By the way, there are some crazy rumors that would later develop uh, that were invented about Mary that make her out to be Jesus' wife and the mother of his children, for heaven's sake. But, but none of that nonsense is found in the pages of our Bible. But most of what the Gospels tell us about Mary Magdalene, as I mentioned, happened on those three crucial days, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Resurrection Sunday. On Good Friday, we learned that Mary was one of a, a group of women who stood near the cross as Jesus was being crucified. We know that she followed the body of Jesus as it was buried by Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. We presume that she spent Holy Saturday quietly, it was the Sabbath day. And then on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene made her way to Jesus' tomb intent on anointing his body with spices. So here's what I want you to know. Mary Magdalene, was very connected to Jesus. Think about it, she'd met him, she'd been healed by him, she'd followed him, she'd supported his ministry, she'd stood nearby when he was crucified, she'd followed his corpse to the tomb, she'd purchased spices to anoint his body, she'd hauled all these spices to the tomb on that Sunday morning. It would be difficult to name one other person who had shown so much outward devotion to Jesus in the time of his great sorrow as Mary Magdalene. And of course, we expect someone who knows Jesus so well to pick up on all the clues about what Jesus is up to. But unfortunately, Mary misses out on so much. I'm not blaming her. I mean, I probably would have been with the other male disciples running out of town on Good Friday. Uh, and she stood near the cross. But still, it might be helpful for us to think for a few minutes about what the eye misses, about what our eyes can miss. I want to ask you a question. This is a, a group participation question. On a scale of one to five, one being terrible and five being outstanding, on a scale of one to five, how good are you at noticing things. Hold up a number. I see a lot of twos, I see a three, I see a five back there, I see a one over here, thank you for your honesty. Now, uh, family members, kind of check this out. Is that score correct? Hold your numbers up again. Is that accurate? Maybe you wanna just talk to them and say, I don't know, maybe that's a little high, a little inflated. So, if I were to hold up a number, it would be half of a one, uh, I think, and that may be a little generous. Just ask my wife. One, one quick story, uh, Jalita and I were privileged to be in Italy last fall. We were in Assisi, the city of St. Francis. We went to the shop, there was this really impressive artist, he was painting cool stuff. We learned out that he had a connection to a shop in SMU, Snyder Plaza, and, and, and so we asked him to paint us a plate. And, he agreed to do so and said he'd ship it to us and we paid him and it, it, it took a long time. And, uh, and we began to wonder, will it ever get here? And then, you know, your mind goes through all these things like was that a scam and was it lost in the mail and all that kind of stuff. Well, it turns out it did get here. 
It turns out Julita hung it on a wall in a very prominent place near our kitchen table. Uh, I, I spent a lot of time at our kitchen table. And like I sit here and it's like right here. And finally, like several, it was like three or four days, right? Yeah. She had to tell me, are you, are you ever going to say anything about our plate? You know? And, and it's like, ah. Oh. I mean, I never saw it. So embarrassing. So embarrassing the things the eyes can miss. How about you? Let me change the question up a little bit. Could it be that God has been showing up in your life? Like that beautiful plate, God has been showing up in your life maybe over the last couple of weeks, or or maybe over the last year or two, or maybe over the last decade, and for whatever reason, God's goodness and God's presence has been hiding in plain sight in your life. Have you ever wondered, especially for those of us maybe whose spiritual vision may be closer to one than closer to five, have you ever wondered what we're missing? I want you to see for a moment what Mary Magdalene misses. Because maybe if someone as close to Jesus can miss this stuff, we won't feel so bad, right? I mean, I'm not blaming her, but, but look at all the things she misses. Verse two, we didn't read this, but she arrives at the tomb, the body's missing, and she immediately expects the worst case of a stolen body. Verse 12, two angels in white, they may or may not have been kind of like plain clothes angels, uh, but we know they were wearing white. Uh, we know that this one commentator says God seems to resort to angels when there's just no other way to make things plain uh, for humans like us. And so, you know, God sent an angel to Mary, Jesus' mother. Uh, God sent an angel to Joseph uh, to keep him from divorcing Mary. And, and uh, angels tend to be reserved for God's greatest messages. And get this, these two angels are sitting on the bench where the body of Jesus had lain only a few hours earlier. I want you to see this, verse verse 12. She saw two angels in white seated where the body of Jesus had been. Now get this, one at the head and the other at the foot. Try to visualize that for a moment. They sat on a bench where the one who died for our sins had been placed like a sacrificial offering on a holy altar. One where his head was, one where his feet were. And, uh, and you just wonder, like readers of, the, of Hebrew scriptures, you just wonder when they heard about this or later read about this, were they thinking, where have I seen that picture before? This altar, angel on one end, angel on the other. I'll tell you where, Exodus 25. In Exodus 25, God told Moses to make a golden altar, uh, atonement cover to cover the Ark of the Covenant, and then to put two cherubim, two angels, and to place them on either end. This came to be known as the atonement cover or more commonly as the mercy seat. Isn't that interesting? These two cherubim, these two angels on the Ark of the Covenant, on that item of furniture that, 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 that um, symbolized the presence and the mercy of God. How cool is it that angels are sitting on the spot where Jesus has atoned for our sins? 
and granted us overflowing mercy. God sends two angels to share the joyous message of Christ's resurrection, but Mary just doesn't register. She, she misses out on the significance. It's almost like the angels are dressed for a wedding, but Mary is showing up at a funeral. And the angels even ask her in verse 13, which must have sounded so strange, why are you crying? You don't usually say that to people at a cemetery, right? Why are you crying? But they ask it because grief is inappropriate on a day like this. But she doesn't pick up on the significance of their question. Instead, she sees herself as a victim of compounded grief. Not only has she lost Jesus, but somebody's stolen the body of Jesus. And then, look what she misses out on in verse 14. She's talking with angels inside the tomb. Something is, is kind of noticed from her peripheral vision. Outside the tomb, Jesus is standing there. And obviously, she sees him because she talks to him, but she doesn't really see him. Maybe her eyes were too full of tears. Maybe his resurrected body was altered in appearance. And so, verse 15, he, Jesus, asked her, Mary Magdalene, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus asked her the same question the angels ask. Why are you crying? He poses an even more pointed question. Who are you looking for? And Mary just ignores both questions. She thinks Jesus is a local gardener who for some strange reason has moved a corpse. A couple of summers ago, I was at Coney Island with my son, Timothy, and we'd waited in the world's longest line to finally get our Nathan's Famous hot dogs, and we sat down at an outdoor concrete table not too far from the water, and uh, we were just enjoying our hot dogs when this young guy plops down with his young daughter, and he just stares at me with a grin on his face. And at first I think, uh-oh, you know, this was his table, and he's being passive aggressive, and, and then I begin to notice he looks vaguely familiar, and it seems pretty clear he knows me, and I'm just racking my brain, like, you know, the wheels are turning, nothing is coming. And so I immediately, as a person of truth and character, uh, I, I resort to those, that kind of generic conversation you use in situations like this. Well, hey there, I say. <laughs> what a surprise, you know? And finally it clicked. This guy was my editor. We'd... Uh, We'd hung out just a few weeks earlier in Tyler, Texas. We'd had lunch together. But I never expected to run into him or anybody else I knew in Coney Island. Mary Magdalene has spent so much time with Jesus. She's walked with him cross country. She's seen that face so many times before. She's seen him teach. She's seen him heal. She's seen him argue with religious opponents. She's recently seen him at the moment of his worst agony, a face marred by a crown of thorns and blood in the worst form of pain. But she didn't expect to see him here. <laughs> she didn't expect to run into the living Jesus here. And let's be honest. Maybe you don't either. Maybe you expect to find an ancient Jesus in the pages of Holy Scripture, but, but do you expect to encounter Jesus in the wild? Jesus on your same pew. Jesus speaking to you right now, asking you right now, what is it you're looking for? 
I mean, it might as well be Jesus plopping down at an oceanside table at Nathan's famous hot dogs on Coney Island. You look at Jesus and you think, I know, (laughs) I know I should know you. You obviously know me. Something about you seems eerily familiar, but I can't for the life of me figure out who you are and why you're approaching me, why you're smiling at me, why you're paying so much attention to me. Think of all the things the eye can miss. But here's the cool news from this passage. Yes, our eyes can deceive us, but so often in the life of faith, the ear hears what the eye misses. The ear hears what the eye misses. This whole passage turns on verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabone, which means teacher. I'm not blaming Mary, no way. But reflect on all the things she failed to see. Still, there was something about the way this stranger knew her name and said her name. And in a flash, her ear heard what her eyes had missed. She heard a heavenly voice and it penetrated all her doubt and grief. It makes me think of that moment uh, when a depressed and bitter prophet named Elijah had run away from life. He'd holed up in a cave. The Lord put on a show that no 4th of July could ever match. I mean, there's so many fireworks. There was a windstorm, there was an earthquake, there was a fire, one right after another. But then God managed to communicate what he really wanted to say to Elijah. And it happens in 1 Kings 19, 12. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. The Bible I grew up with called it a still, small voice. That voice that Christine described in the video that said, wait, wait. Sometimes Jesus is hiding in plain sight and we don't see him, but then in an instant we hear a gentle voice call us by name and in that moment we know that we are seen and we know that we are known and we know that we are loved. And in that moment, what is left for us to do but to fall at Jesus' feet and to worship? In 2017, uh, Amy Krause Rosenthal wrote a column for the Modern Love section of the New York Times, and that column went viral. It was entitled, You May Want to Marry My Husband. Amy, an accomplished author, was desperately ill with ovarian cancer. And in this column, she wrote about her grief about not being able to continue life with her husband of 27 years, Jason, and with their three children. But she decided to do something. In this last published article, she took time to introduce the world to Jason. She described him as a sharp dresser, fit in shape, uncannily handy, a great cook, an amazing father, an artist. She said, he's the kind of man that emerges from a gas station or a mini mart and says to you, hold out your hand, and when you do, he puts a a brightly colored gumball in the palm of your hand. As she finished this article, she said she was writing this on Valentine's Day, and she said, the most genuine gift I can hope for 
is that the right person reads this, finds Jason, and another love story begins. With all my love, Amy. Turns out Amy lived 10 more days after this column was written. Man, I had so many emotions after I read that column. Of course, I was jealous that somebody named Jason makes the rest of us look bad, uh, which he clearly does. But mostly I thought, how amazing that this woman named Amy, so close to death, wanted Jason to know that he was seen, that he was known, and that he was deeply loved in the most sacrificial way possible. As she was dying, she wanted Jason to know how loved she was. For some reason, that column came to mind when I read verse 16. Jesus had seen Mary at her worst. Jesus had healed her. Jesus had rescued her. Jesus had encountered Mary in her deepest grief. She thought she was all alone in her tears. And with one word, Jesus let Mary know that he knew her and that he loved her and that out of her grief, a new life could be born. And it all happened with a single word, the word Mary. Friends, what if, what if the person who knows us best loves us most? What if the same person, Jesus, can turn our deepest grief into a new chapter of joy, hope, love, eternal life? What if what the psalmist said in Psalm 30, verse 5 is true, that weeping lasts for the night, but joy comes in the morning? What if, as Jesus promised his disciples back in John 10, that he is the good shepherd of the sheep and that he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out? What if... What if our lives turn on the moment when we hear our good shepherd call our name? You see, when Jesus said that name, Mary, it triggered a beautiful reaction. First, she called him by the name she most often called him by, teacher or master. Likely she dropped to his feet and clung to him because he had to tell her, now is not the time for clinging. Now is the time to to evangelize. Now is the time to tell your story. Now is the time to race and share the good news with the other disciples, which she did. Verse 18 says, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. She told them that he had said these things to her. If I could impress one thing on you today, it would be that everything changes when Jesus calls your name. Your eyes can and will deceive you repeatedly, but that word Jesus speaks to your heart triggers a chain reaction of joy and worship and love and sharing the good news around the block and around the world. It's a word spoken in the midst of the most hopeless situation you can imagine. It's a word spoken perhaps in the midst of your hopeless situation right now. Last summer while my daughter was in the hospital, it just so happened my Bible reading for the day was was in this passage, it was John 20. And I looked back and I saw in my journal, July 22nd, 2022, uh, I wrote these words. Lord, you are here even when I don't recognize you. 
My family needs to hear you call us by name today. Please meet us in our pain and despair. Help us see you, hear you, trust you. In some very dark days, we felt Christ's presence in profound and surprising ways. And I'm praying the same thing for you. Who knows what could happen when Jesus calls your name? A writer I follow named Russell Moore once wrote about a conversation he had with an older man, a distinguished theologian named Carl Henry. Russell was visiting with this older man. He was lamenting about the terrible state of the church in the United States. Russell said the preaching is on the whole terrible and uh, so many church members have completely forgotten what it means to follow Jesus and more influenced by culture than by Christ. And he said, seemingly everywhere I look, I'm discouraged by the state of the church. And then Russell asks Carl, he says, do you have any hope for the coming generation of the church? And Carl said, of course there's hope. Now, that, prob- that hope probably doesn't lie in the current generation of leaders, but, but of course there's hope. And then he says this. He said, who knew that Saul of Tarsus, the one who tried to stamp out the early church, would become a great missionary for the early church? Nobody knew that at the time. He said, some current pagan might be the next great leader of the Christian movement. And Russell said, I was so moved by that. He ended up writing that the next great evangelist, the next Billy Graham, if you will, might be passed out drunk in a fraternity house right now. (laughs) But he said the Spirit of God can turn all that around. Jesus will be king. And then he wrote, so be kind to that young atheist in front of you on the highway, the one that just shot you an obscene gesture. He might be the one who shares Christ with your grandchildren. Don't despair, church. Don't despair. Yes, our eyes can cause us to grow discouraged. Yes, life can feel more like a cemetery than a party sometime. But listen deeply to the voice of Jesus who calls your name. You are seen you are known and you are loved. And because Jesus is alive and because Jesus is king, there's no telling what can happen when he calls us by name. Let's pray. Oh Lord, when we are honest, we confess to you that our eyes have missed so much. Maybe because of our sin, maybe because of our shame, maybe because of our pride, maybe because of our doubt, maybe because of our sorrow, we've missed clear evidences of you our whole lives. But we know, risen Christ, that you are here, and we know that you know us You know everything about us, and yet you love us. You died to bury the toxic waste of our sin. You rose to give us salvation, your spirit, hope, joy, a 
future. And so now, Lord, call our names. Speak to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.